I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Tammy Bruce. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, April 9th, 2020. I'm Dave Anthony. People keep dying from the coronavirus in record numbers. We're being told there's hope. It'll get better soon. The FDA commissioner tells us when the shutdowns end, various testing will be vital. As we go back to work, surveillance will be really important. So knowing um, if there are reports of exposure, if there are concerns around an illness, and really drilling down deeply on that to prevent another outbreak will be key. I'm Lisa Brady. A restaurant that's been a Seattle staple for decades reinvents itself successfully during these hard times. But they promise to be back. When the schools reopen and when everyone comes out of their homes and goes back to work and somebody calls and says, I'd like to come in for dinner, we will be open. And I'm Rabbi Sam or Shlomo Bregman. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. We've all been told all along it'll get worse before it gets better. And Wednesday's news was the worst. The most deaths yet in New York from the coronavirus, 779 in a 24-hour period. The number of deaths will continue to rise as those hospitalized for a longer period of time pass away. Governor Andrew Cuomo says the longer someone's on a ventilator, the more likely it is they're not going to survive. In the last two days alone in New York, there have been 1,510 deaths. That is more than any state's total, including New Jersey, which is second and also set a record on Wednesday. Yet Governor Cuomo is hopeful. We are flattening the curve. Dr. Anthony Fauci and the White House task force agrees. We're starting to see some glimmers of hope. He told Fox and Friends he hopes after this terrible week. We're going to start to see the beginning of a turnaround. So we need to keep pushing on the mitigation strategies because there's no doubt that that's having a positive impact on the dynamics of the outbreak. Dr. Steve Hahn is also on the task force and agrees. The mitigation efforts are working really hats off to the amazing resiliency and work of the American people. He's not just a doctor. Steve Hahn is also the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration. We need to push hard on that and continue. It's been you know, several weeks that we've done this. Um, the more we do, that is our best, absolute best way of defeating the virus. And so a continued push in that end because we are seeing we are seeing the effects of mitigation. And, and uh, that's really good news for the American people. Where you come in at FDA is what can be done for patients who are really sick, the treatments that can be given to people because this virus is so new. There haven't been really anything yet to give them except attempted things we know now, but no specific drugs. Where are we on some of these treatments that are being used? We have a number of drugs uh, that are in clinical trials right now um, to assess their effectiveness and their safety. That does take time in a, in a clinical trial setting because we have to make sure that um, all of the uh, assessments with respect to safety and, and efficacy and effectiveness are there. Um, a couple of things that I would highlight. One is um, there's been a lot of uh, press and a lot of information about hydroxychloroquine and, and frankly, a lot of interest by the American people. Um, that a drug is approved for other indications such as lupus. 
Um, and we wanted to make sure that there was adequate drug in the supply system for those patients who depend upon it for, for lupus and other indications. But at the same time, as you've heard, there are some preliminary in data information that suggests it might be a benefit. So we've made this drug available for clinical trials because that's the best way to answer the question about its effectiveness. The use of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, which are used for malaria, has been very political. Dr. Oz is among those who've touted it. So is President Trump, who's been widely criticized. It's been taken for years and uh, people are okay with it. It seems to be with the uh, zithromycin that really seems to be the combination that's great. But the president also admitted to Fox's Sean Hannity. That could cause a little problem. People don't know, but it might cause problem with the heart. Criticism and risks aside, some people are saying... If I'm dying, or someone I love is, why not try it? Try anything. FDA Commissioner Hahn's response? Yeah, and Dave, you know, I'm a cancer doctor. So um, I practice taking care of cancer patients, and I completely understand um, that approach in that um, if you have a drug as a doctor that you think is relatively safe, and there are some preliminary data to suggest it's effective, that's a doctor's decision. So FDA doesn't regulate the practice of medicine, nor would we make a recommendation one way or the other. But our doctors are capable of making those decisions. Our doctors in this country are capable of making those decisions with their patients. And it's a completely appropriate discussion for a patient and a doctor and a family to have. Um, and so um, I, I have a great deal of sympathy for um, the you know patients around America who have this um, you know, my heart goes out to them and their families, and I think this should remain a doctor-patient decision. There's some flu drug out of Japan that also is being looked at. Is that correct? Um, that, that's correct. There are a number of drugs um, which are not proven um, but um, will or ha are going to be in clinical trial, um, and that's the best setting for drugs that aren't yet approved and are considered experimental. Um, is in a clinical trial because they aren't currently off the shelf. There's also been a lot of talk about people who've recovered from coronavirus and maybe using their blood, the plasma from their blood, to treat patients who are still fighting the virus. Where are we on that? Yes, uh, Dave, um, I, I have a lot of enthusiasm for that approach. Um, and let me explain what it is. This has been used before for other infectious diseases. And that's where you take plasma, which is the protein part of a blood. Um, and by the way, someone could donate several times a month, so it's not like a regular blood donation. But you take this protein part of the blood that's called plasma, and in that plasma has the antibodies, the immunity against an infectious agent, and in this case it would be COVID-19. So if you had someone who had fully recovered from the illness, um, you could take plasma from them, and that could become basically a unit of plasma that could be given to someone who is sick. And there are some preliminary data and evidence that giving this to people who are um, sick and not yet on a ventilator might be able to help them. Um, so we, we're, we're having um, groups around the country study this. As you may know, a couple of weeks ago, we allowed this to be done. I think it's three weeks ago now um, on an, uh, what's called an EIND, which really means compassionate use basis. Um, and that's been going for several weeks. And then last Friday, we announced a nationwide program. We call it an expanded access program with collection through the Red Cross and blood donors of people who recovered. So fortunately, 
many people will, well, the overwhelming majority of people will recover from COVID-19. Um, and as we develop this program further, we will have a call for donors. Doctors suspect many people have had the coronavirus, but didn't know it. They never felt sick. And tests are being developed for them, too, to check for antibodies to prove they had it. And a prominent theory is if you got the virus, you might not get it again. We have engaged proactively over the last months, weeks, with laboratory test developers. I've met with a consortium of them via phone, um, and they are coming forward with their uh, applications uh, for what we call emergency use authorizations for those tests. So all hands on deck for that because this is really important. We're trying to prioritize those tests that are easy to administer and that um, will get us the answer quickly. But we're looking at all tests. And obviously, this is going to be something that we want to use the football term, flood the zone with as much as possible. Now, the other part of this is really important, Dave, that I think I'd love your your, uh, listeners to hear, is that there's a lot of information on the Internet, emails, et cetera, about these tests. FDA has only authorized one test so far. Okay. Others have not been authorized. And so really careful And there's no at-home testing either. And there's a variety of really good sound scientific reasons for that. So folks should be very cautious about this um, and only go to a provider for this at this point, not to provider, but to someone who knows about um, FDA authorizations of these tests, because some of these tests we know not to be accurate and it'll give the wrong information to people. And it is not a diagnostic test. It's just a test for antibodies. Okay, so help us again know where to find the right tests? So right now, um, that's a work in progress. Um, some laboratories around the country have developed tests. So you know, reputable labs such as university labs, large hospital systems have developed those tests. This information can be found um, with respect to who's come to us about marketing on our website. But the one thing I caution at this point is that we have not yet fully validated all of those tests. And so what I would say, hold tight. Serologic tests, not ready from the FDA's perspective at this point, but they will be. Um, they can visit our website to see what's available with respect to those tests. But much more information to come in the next week or so. All right. As we emerge from social distancing and we get into May, what will be more important, or will both be equally important, testing to know that you have the coronavirus or the antibody testing to know that you had it? That, Dave, is an excellent question. Um, So certainly the antibody test, knowing that you've had it, will be important to components of this. A previous test that was done, sort of documenting that you were diagnosed with it, that test in the nose, that's another component that will be important. And then the third component, which I think you're getting at, is that as we go back to work, Surveillance will be really important. So knowing um, if there are reports of exposure, if there are concerns around an illness, and really drilling down deeply on that to prevent another outbreak will be key. And in that setting, the diagnostic test, the one that actually detects the virus in the nose, will be important. All right. The vaccine, people are also hoping for something quick on that. I know vaccines take a long time, typically like a decade sometimes, in order to get approved. This one, they're talking about a year's time. I know that countries around the world have scientists working on this. Where are we in the U.S.? 
around-the-clock effort. Um, and this is another example of, uh, you know, private-public partnership. Um, great engagement from the private sector. Uh, the pharmaceutical companies who have incredible expertise in this have uh, come to us. Um, there is a group being organized through NIH and CDC and FDA, um, as well as Health and Human Services, um, to actually bring the, uh, the, the manufacturers together. Because what we want is cooperation, not competition. To identify the, um, the, the most, uh, what we think are the most, um, or the, the possible best potential vaccines. As you probably know, there is one vaccine already in clinical trial. And Dave, this is lightning speed for, clinic, for, for a clinical trial of a vaccine when we only identified the virus in January. So all hands on deck in it. Um, some people think a, a year is ambitious. Um, Dr. Fauci has been saying a year to 18 months. Um, we're going to do everything we can to accelerate that. And lastly, it all started in China. People are very skeptical of that country, even more than ever now. And there's worry that, you know, a lot of our drugs are made there. Maybe we ought to rethink that strategy. What do you make of going forward and drug manufacturing? Uh, my view on this is that this is a critical issue for our country. Um, I testified before Congress about this um, in most recent budget hearings um, and have emphasized um, what our agencies view on this, which is that we need a duplicative or redundant manufacturing. We can't be dependent on any one country for the precursors to drugs and medical products and also the finished medical products, whether that's drugs or personal protective equipment. And so um, Congress responded with some funding for some FDA efforts on this. But I really think this should be a, an all-of-government and all-of-country effort to really re-examine this. Your points are really well taken. Commissioner Steve Hahn, FDA, we really appreciate you joining us, Doctor. Thank you, Dave. And my best to your listeners. I hope everyone's staying safe um, and, and uh, following the mitigation efforts. You all take care. You too, Doctor. All right, thank you. This is Rabbi Sam or Shlomo Bregman with your Fox News commentary coming up. For every restaurant, there's a story from the national chains to the small town diners. And right now they're having the shared experience of shutting down business as usual because of coronavirus precautions. But they're not all impacted in the same way. Some shifted to more takeout with mixed results, others just closing for the time being which is exactly what you might expect from a fine dining establishment around for decades and described as upscale and iconic. But that's not what they did at Canlis. It's new, that's for certain. Um, and in many ways, yeah, this is unprecedented for us and not something that we expected. Mark Canlis is co-owner of the family-owned restaurant, which after 70 years in Seattle is now temporarily a completely different kind of operation. Takeout breakfast called the Bagel Shed, burgers people can pick up at Drive On Through, and a meal delivery service for dinner called Family Meal. But in many ways, it feels like we're very much still canless, and it feels like we're very much still doing what we do, uh, which is to which take care for people, you know, with food. And um, while the space clearly looks different, you know, we're setting it up for launching hundreds of. CSA boxes and dinners, it's still our team and it has the same heart and sentiment behind it. And so it's, yeah, it's this bizarre confluence of 
um, day by day uncertainty and also the comfort of knowing that this is, I don't know, and in many ways, this is what we were called to do and this is what we'd love to do. So it is unprecedented for sure. I know you're you're considered a fine dining establishment, but uh, one of your Facebook posts says fine dining is not what Seattle needs right now. So elaborate for me on sort of the new normal for you at the moment. What is it that you're doing instead? Yeah, when we first sat down and looked at this, you know, a few weeks ago, it just dawned on us that fine dining was not what the city or maybe the country needed. And um and yet it didn't mean the game was up in any way. It just kind of meant the rules had changed. And so we started from scratch and said, what do we have at our fingertips, at our disposal? Um, what can we be thankful for right now? Um, if we took everything that we had and just said, how could we possibly keep our staff employed um, in the days ahead? What would we do? And, and fine dining wasn't the thing. Um, but as it turns out, we're on a busy road and a drive through was the first step for us and made complete sense. And we've been serving a thousand hamburgers for lunch every day and, and so many more dinners. So it's been, um, yeah, it's, uh, it was the process of starting from scratch and trying to figure out how we could keep, we have 115 employees, how we could keep them all safely and gainfully working. Wow. So you started a drive-through service and I know you also started a a takeout breakfast spot called the Bagel Shed, and then you also yeah. launched meal delivery service. And then we also launched CSA delivery service, so community-supported agriculture, just boxes of produce and eggs and uh, meats and poultries and dairy and stuff um, that were the ingredients that we used to use. Uh, they're all coming from the farms that we have been um, buying from forever. And we thought, well, these guys are still producing great food and everyone is in need of food right now. What if we just um, took our ingredients and put them in boxes and, and shipped them out to folks? And so we're, uh, we've been doing that as well. Yeah, it really sounds like you're busier than ever, if, if anything. What has the response been like from the community? Do you have a lot of regular customers taking oh, part? You're getting a lot of new customers? Overwhelming. Um, look, I mean... All of us want to crawl under our covers at night and read headlines on our phones, and it can be sort of this sort of daunting and helpless feeling. But to stand out directing traffic, we had a line that went eight blocks long trying to get a hamburger and to be talking to people through the windows of their cars and just sort of engaging folks and realizing, hey, life goes on and and we've got this. And, that, and that's what we put on our website, and that's what's been flying around the town. It's just this idea that as a city and as a nation – we do have this. And I feel like in so many ways, maybe um, maybe one thing Canlis can do is just remind the people of the truth um, that you pull together and um, and you endure and you get creative and you turn to the person on your right and your left and you say, come on, we, we can do this. So it, this, the community said that to us in so many ways when we went to the staff and said, does anyone want to try this? Um, we have an idea. Um, but it's voluntary. They all signed up. Uh, every single one of them said that, yeah, we're in, you know, kind of a put me in coach type of a response. And so I think just to be received that way by our city, um, it has been uh, so encouraging. 
what would your plan B have been if the employees d- decided not to take part? And I ask that because there are a lot of small businesses who maybe they're not in the food service business, for instance, and they've had to make some very difficult and other decisions. And there are some furloughs and some layoffs happening, at least in the short term. And now you have this stimulus package from Washington that in some cases, because of expanded unemployment benefits, will end up paying some lower paid workers, you know, like they'll end up getting more money if they're laid off than if they kept working. But I guess that's really not the kind of decisions that that you've had to make. You know, we ha- we haven't quite been um, afforded that opportunity. Um, that sounds amazing. I would like to sign up for that. But um, but no, right now, what we're what we're looking at is just how many hours can we keep employing our staff? And, and yes, Seattle's maybe a little more progressive. They have paid time off and sick leave. And, and obviously the state has, um, is arranging some, um, partial employment and, uh, furlough options, all of which we're looking at. And, and if we need to use those, we certainly will. Um, if there is not a demand for what we're doing, or if we, if we find out that it, we just can't do it in a way that we're comfortable with, um, we'll certainly go that route. But for the time being, um, while we can help, while there is something to do, um, I think we should we should put our best efforts into doing it and 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 look that's a really um, that's a special position to be in it's, um, and and we take it seriously. One other question and it you may not be able to answer it right now because who knows how long any of this will last but could this possibly change your business model for the future? <laughs> No, ma'am. <laughs> I miss my old job. This is really hard. <laughs> Burgers is tricky. Uh, fine dining is is who we are as a family, and it's what we've been doing forever. And I, I can't wait when the schools reopen and when everyone comes out of their homes and goes back to work and somebody calls and says, I'd like to come in for dinner, we will reopen Canlas um, on the other side of this thing. And... Um, that is a promise that we made as a team and as a staff to one another. And um, it's a promise that we're making to the city, which is just to say there's a way through it. And if there's um, if, if, if we can figure it out, we're going to do it. So that's that's our goal right now. Um, Canlis will look different tomorrow than it did the 70 years of our history. And it might look different um, after this whole thing is done, but I think we as a country will, will look different. I think it's going to be a reminder to each of us just how how similar we all are, how alike we all are as a people, and a reminder of how much we need one another. And if there's a silver lining to this thing at all, it might be just um, the good ways that it changes our country and our company also. So that's what we're focusing on. Mark Canlis, co-owner of Canlis Restaurant in Seattle. Best of luck to you, and thanks for spending some time with us. Same to you. Be well out there. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Rabbi Sam Bregman. What's on your mind? As a result of the coronavirus pandemic, Jews around the world are preparing to observe Passover in a manner that is unprecedented in the last 3,300 years. 
Like people of all faiths, Jews are unable right now to assemble, worship, and pray together as one body of believers due to social distancing and efforts to flatten the curve of COVID-19 around the globe. The central theme of Passover is freedom, but the entire world is currently gripped by feelings of uncertainty, isolation, and fear. It's axiomatic that a large percentage of the population generally walks around through life feeling small, irrelevant, obscure on a regular day. Right now, those feelings have been exacerbated a hundredfold. According to the Jewish tradition, on an individual level, one of the most liberating feelings in the world is to discover that you, the individual, matters. Even when we are sidelined at home and unable to go to work, school, or anywhere else that is not essential, every person is inherently valuable. Our value lies not in what we do or how much we earn, but rather in the fact that each of us was fashioned in the image of our creator and simply because we are human beings. As a society, we need to accept that just as this pandemic began with one person, a you, likewise, it has to end with each of us. We are a culture that worships celebrities, professional athletes, and other influencers who've been made famous by the media. However, there are an endless number of such people who've been unable to use their perceived prestige to change the course of this pandemic so far, even to get their fans to adhere to social distancing guidelines. When this pandemic passes over us, I hope we will remember that to a significant degree, our lives and society were sustained by those who are often unseen, overlooked, and typically never thanked for a job well done. As it says in the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, do not look down upon any person and do not be disdainful of anything, for there is no person without his hour and no thing without its place. And although many of us feel lonely in quarantine and within the walls of our homes, we can use this solitude as a rare opportunity to reflect upon our individual power and significance. Although the world at large is decidedly negative towards boundaries and exercise of limitations or personal restrictions, the Jewish tradition is of the view that they are not only sometimes necessary, such as during a pandemic, but that they also bring blessing, self-awareness, and personal freedom in their wake. The incredible pain and loss of COVID-19 will one day pass. Then we can all celebrate our individual contributions together and our individual and collective redemptions. May it happen speedily in our days. This is Rabbi Sam or Shlomo Bregman wishing you a happy Passover. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. It's the Perino and Steyerwalt I'll Tell You What podcast. Dana Perino of The Five and Fox News political editor Chris Steyerwalt dissect the ins and outs of national politics. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.